0: Father, we come before you and ask that you would give us a power, a power in our private prayer, a power in the meditation on your holy word, that the scriptures would indeed not just be read by us and studied by us, but it would gain a hold on us, a grip on us. It would grab our consciences. Grant us a holiness in our speech when we leave here, a holiness in our thoughts and our actions. Let us not seek our own glory may your plow cut deep into our hearts God may you till the field of our hearts and may that sprout roots of grace to spread far and wide in our lives and in this town until Christ is fully seen we have no master but you alone we have no Savior but you alone we have no salvation but through you alone Whom do we have? Who can we run down to? Who can we look to if life is just mowing us over? There's no one but you. Thank you, God. Thank you for choosing to set your sacrificial love on us. And even when we were still yet sinners, you did it all. And it's all for your glory. And it's all for your honor. And it's all for your praise and power and dominion, which is in the name of Christ, your Son. We pray and ask these things. And we give you all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's good to be here. And as he said, uh, we're fellow classmates and we serve together at North Creek together. And uh, I'm excited to be here and thankful for the invite from Tommy to come and be able to preach the word to you all this morning. So I'm excited. It doesn't matter if I'm in Vacaville or we're in Walnut Creek or we're here in Orland. We're the people of God and we're going to look at the, the word of God together. And... I would just think in a room with people in it, anywhere in America, anywhere in the world, would have a bunch of people that have had some difficulty run through your life. Some hard times. Some hardships. Some trials. And can you think of, in your own mind's eye, difficult times in your life where you went just through it? Maybe you were persecuted for your faith. Maybe it caused a divide in your family because you decided to go a different way and you followed Christ. Maybe you had a tragedy that has happened in your life. Some horrible thing that is horrifying to you to even think about it now. Who who in here has said when life is hard and you feel alone and you feel lost, who has said, why has this happened to me? Where is God? Where are you, God? I've learned that the Christian walk is not easy. It's not your best life now, despite what Joel Olstein says. Living by faith in this life in a fallen world system is super hard at times, and we walk through super, super difficult things at times. And we go through storms, we go through life's hardships. Thinking we read, it is well, Horatio Spafford wrote those words, it is well, and he wrote those words after he found out that all three of his daughters drowned in a boat accident. And when he was going to meet his wife, the captain of the ship en route said, this is where the ship went down, and he went down into his cabin and wrote, it is well. My daughters are lost, but it's still well with my soul. And later he would pin those words. So when you sing that with a sea bellows roll, he's thinking of his daughters dying. And he's saying it as well. It's well with my soul. The Christian life is not easy. And following Jesus is not easy. It is a battle. And you guys are reading through Ephesians. When you get to chapter 6, that's why there's spiritual armor, because it's a battle. So open your Bibles with me to to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And hold your finger there. And what I want to do this morning is to look at this few verses, 1 through 18, and gain a better, better understanding, a biblical perspective for our lives when thinking about what we've just been discussing. Sometimes we're tested in life. And this is in examining this, this test that happened to Abraham, we can use that information to better understand when we're tested what we should do. And we should not fail this test as Christians. If I could boil this passage down to, to two words, I would say it's about faith, faith of Abraham, and obedience, the obedience of Abraham. Faith and obedience. And many of us, as Christians, are familiar with this biblical story, and I want to challenge you, when I start to read it, or you may have looked ahead, and you said, yeah, I know this story, you know what happens. And the danger with that is we become over-familiar with a biblical story, and we tune it out, and we say, it's just one more time of going through it, and you might actually miss something. So I'm asking all of us, including myself, to come to the text this morning with our minds afresh, not holding on to what we think, and let God open up this for us. Because if we understand it and we understand what's happening in the passage, then we can apply it to our lives. But if you can't understand it in its context, you can't apply it to your lives. It's just a story. Oh, yeah, I know what happens in that story. So we'll start number 1. I give you an outline in your in your bulletins. Number 1 in your outlines is here I am, God. It's first one through 6. Well, let's just start at verse 1. We're going to slowly just let this unfold. I typically don't do this, and I don't know what your pastor does. Typically, I read the whole passage, and then we go break it down. But I want this to unfold and let you see it happen as it unfolds. So A underneath number 1 is timing, verse 1A. Let's just read a few words into the verse. It says, and I'm going to be reading a New American Standard. I think you guys are in ESV, but that's okay. We can fellowship together. New American Standard says this. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. And if you're a student of Scripture or you just do Bible studies or you read it on your own, as soon as you read something, you're supposed to ask questions. And right away it says, It came after these things. And my mind goes, What things? What things? Well, just by way of background, he's talking about the events that previously took place. What what previously possibly took place in Abraham's life? Well, God promised to make him a great nation. And God said, it was going to happen immediately. I'm just going to promise it to you. And you need to go over here to a land that's not yours. And you need to leave everything you know. And I'm going to make a great nation. And it didn't happen. And he lived. And he lived. And he lived. And it didn't happen. So what did they do? Well, we know they thought God is not getting it done, so what do we often do? I guess we need to do it for God. So, I'm 100 years old. I'm almost 100. My wife's almost 100. We can't have a child. And God promised me this great nation. So, they took matters in their own hands. And Abraham with Sarah's maidservant had a baby called Ishmael. But Ishmael is not the one God promised. They took matters in their own hands and God gave this 100-year-old couple later a child, a miracle. And Isaac was still a toddler and God gave Abraham instructions, send Hagar away, send Ishmael away because the boy that you have, Isaac, that boy, he's the one of the promise. He's the one that I promised you that will fulfill what I've told you. And Isaac was the only true son of Abraham which he loved. And God promised that his son would be the one that would fulfill the promise through Isaac. And if you look at Genesis 17:9, God said, "No, Abraham, but Sarah your wife will bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant for his descendants. that come after him. Not your way of doing it, this is what I planned. And so we fast forward quite a few years, 12, 13, 14 years later, and it's after the expulsion of Hagar, the expulsion of Ishmael, and after these things, that's where we pick up. Isaac's no longer a toddler. He's probably somewhere 15, 16 years old. So, right away, the first half of the verse says, after these things, we have the context. What's the next phrase? God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. Not tempted, but he tested him. Is there a difference between testing and tempting? Is there a difference? Tempting is enticement to sin. Tempting is trying to get somebody to sin, trying to draw them to sin. God does not do that, right? Turn with me over to James. Keep your finger in Genesis. Turn with me over to James chapter 1. And I want you to see this. James chapter 1 verse 13 God does not entice to sin. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust, by your own heart, by your own mind is where you get tempted. And then there's testing. Testing is an examination of one's heart by God. Look down a couple of verses at verse 22 of James 1. James 1.22 says, Prove yourselves, or test yourselves, doers of the Word not merely hearers to delude yourselves. Verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. And once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Prove yourselves or test yourselves and how does one pass this test? Well, James 1, verse 12 says, being found approved. You know what the literal translation of that is? Passing a test. So it says, blessed is a man, and James 1, 12, is a man who perseveres under trial in those hard times in your life, is the one who has been approved. You pass the test, you're approved. He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. And I've read that, and I go, I get that in my brain. But does anyone think that it's unfair that God would test believers? Does it seem wrong? Realize God allows that those who love Him to go through testing. He allowed you to go through the tough times that you thought about at the beginning. As a matter of fact, he allows that for us to be tempted as well. Because when we're tested, what does our heart and minds go to? We start thinking, is God really for us? Is God really there? And the the testing of us turns into a temptation. And then God says, in that temptation, I provided a, a way of escape. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you such as common to man as God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. And I've been told that and said, that's just a bunch of garbage. I don't like what I'm going through. But it says it right here. He's not allowed you to be tempted beyond what you're able to handle. But everyone stops there. And we tell our friends that when they're crying over something. Well, God doesn't allow more than you can handle. Thanks a lot. I don't need to hear that right now. But they don't read the rest of the verse they don't say the rest of the verse the temptation will provide a way of escape god is providing a way i don't know what that way is but he's providing a way that's what you need to find so you can endure it so as we move further into the text we're only in verse 1a you know how long do we have anyone how long do i have this morning two hours I mean, we we just need to push further in. God's going to test Abraham. And guess what comes with that test? A temptation. A temptation to disobey God. A temptation to run from God. A temptation to say, I need to escape from this and run. But God's providing a way of escape for the man. Takes us to be underneath one, which is testing, verse 1b through 2. And said to him, this is God speaking, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Here I am, God. What do you want? That's what it means. What do you need? What do you want, to, what do you want from me? What do you want to do? He says, I'm going to tell you what I want from you, Abraham. Take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, Isaac, you know that one? Take him and sacrifice him as a burnt offering to me. And I ask myself, why does God have to put it that way? Do you think God's being cruel? Is God mocking Abraham? It's your son, Abraham. Abraham. It's your only son because I had you send the other son away. It's the one you actually love with all your heart, mind, soul. You love him. You would die for him. I want you to sacrifice him. That means burn him, kill him for me. Many of you are parents. What don't you think? Abraham's mind was just being flooded with all kinds of things at that moment. Wouldn't he be tempted to run? Wouldn't he be tempted to disobey God? Let's just wait. Maybe God will change his mind. I don't know what he wants me to do. I don't know. Have I made a mistake? Did I make my son an idol and Yahweh's angry at me? I don't know. He promised a future blessing. He promised me, send that other one away. He's going to give me one. 100 years of age. We had a baby. That's a miracle. And now I'm supposed to kill the one. And he promised, I'm going to bring all these people down the line, all these generations of people. And I'm supposed to sacrifice them? I thought I was being tested. I left my home country. I thought I was being tested. I took his promise. I, I thought we had a kid as a miracle when we're hundreds, 100 of year, years old. And, and I thought I passed all those tests. And now you want me to kill him? Was God being erratic? Did God change his mind? Many times we think, God, you wanted me to do this, and now everything's falling apart. I thought you wanted me to do this. Was he thinking that? Don't you know that the temptation had to be on him? Can I really trust God? He told me this. I left the country. He told me I was going to have a kid. I didn't have the kid. I did it my way. He told me to send that one away. He gave me one. Now he says, sacrifice that one? I'm sure any dad in here would say he just wanted to run he wanted to run but you know we, we have the luxury of having James 1 and James 1 17 says every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. You guys read some about the light today. The Father of lights. There is no variation. There's no shadow. There's no hint of sin in Him. There's no hint of evil in Him. I know this, God, so how could God possibly resolve this? How is God going to stay holy and pure and have me kill the one son that He promised me was the one He was going to bless through? It's impossible. Is he serious? Has God been a liar? Have I been trusting this deity that is not faithful, not holy? And I could just see the man saying, why? Have you ever said that? Why, God? Have you ever uttered those words? Why? I just don't get it. I don't understand. I don't know what you're doing up there. Maybe you had hard circumstances and they didn't change. Maybe you've had a health diagnosis and it hasn't changed. Maybe your marriage has been on rocks and it hasn't changed. Maybe some of you are younger and you didn't get into the dream college and you have to go to second best. Maybe some of you failed to land a better job or it's hard to get a job in Orlando and you're driving two hours to a job and you want a job here. Or maybe you didn't get the next promotion, or you didn't get the right place, or a job. But maybe you don't have a job at all, and you can't find a job. Maybe you're younger, and you thought, she was the one, and she ain't the one. Or he's the one, and it fell apart, and you were crushed. Maybe some of you have raised your child up in the Lord or your grandchildren up in the Lord, and you thought they were on the way, and they left and went to college, and they rebelled against God, and they went far the other direction against God, and they don't want to hear about God no more. But they went to Sunday school, and they were baptized. Maybe they haven't returned to faith, and maybe it's looking like I don't think they ever will return to their faith. And we know what happens to somebody that doesn't have faith in Christ. And we say, why? What if your physical body never recovers? What if one of you has cancer and it just spreads and spreads and it doesn't change? What if you don't get the job and don't get the promotion, don't get the the pay scale? What if your child does not come back to the Lord and goes all the way to the grave not knowing the Lord? Or maybe dies horrifically before you die and you say, why God? Or maybe the Lord asked you to serve in a ministry. Or we're okay if somebody else's child goes to the mission field. But not my son, not my daughter. That's a dangerous place. Are you going there? Why, God? I don't want them to go. Why can't somebody else go? So the question is, I don't know all of you, but we're together like this because of Christ. And I do know that everyone has some test. And every one of you has something in your life that is very, very hard to think about and very, very hard to walk through. And some testing is coming for all of us in the future. The things that make you cry out, why God? Think of those things when you think of this biblical story. Because that is where he is at times 10 probably. And understand that testing, because it's from God, is on you for faith and obedience. And that testing brings temptation that you want to run from God. Believe me, I've done it before. You want to run. And you want to blame God. So let's look at Abraham. What, What does he do? What's Abraham do? Letter C underneath number one, obeying, verse three through six. Genesis 22, verse 3 says So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he took in his hand fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. He didn't understand the test. He didn't understand it's a test. God told him to do it, and he's obeying the test. And I know he didn't understand it, but I know what he did know. He believed that God. He trusted Yahweh, and he had his faith placed in him. And he's going saying, I don't know how you're going to do this. I'm just going to follow God's instruction. And I find it so encouraging to say, he didn't delay doing it. He didn't hope for a situation to change. He didn't do what I would do. Pray, God, is there a different way? Is there a different path? Can you... Let me just wait a couple of weeks. Maybe I'll get a different word from the Lord. No, God told him to do it, and Abraham rose early the next morning, got his crew together, got the supplies together, got his son together, and headed out. I find that pretty amazing. I find that shameful for my own life, actually. I don't want to miss the nuances here. I want you to think about this fully He split wood for the burnt offering. You ever see a 100-year-old guy split wood? Well, forget that. Have you ever seen a 100-year-old father out there splitting the wood that he was going to let consume his son? He's splitting the wood to offer as a burnt offering his own son. Can you imagine how it felt cutting that wood? Could you imagine with every blow of the axe into the wood what he's thinking about? I think that had to be torturous. And then I noticed another thing that we just missed. We just run over it. In verse 4 it says, on the third day he raised his eyes. And we're like, oh yeah, the third day. You know, Jesus rose on the third day. And and we just read on. Three days? Three days? You think about that. Third day, can you imagine? Three days that had to seem like an eternity. Going around, knowing you're going to kill your son, splitting the wood, getting the, the, the provisions together for the trip, going on the trip for three days waiting. God said, I'll show you which one when you get there. He didn't know it was two days, one day, three days, a week, two weeks. He has no idea. He's just going. He's just following. I get unsettled and nervous and pushed off a root canal for next Tuesday, okay? And believe me, if a root canal is coming, I'm very nervous and I'm praying, God, give me a meeting, give me something so I can cancel this root canal. But how... Do you think Abraham was able to bear that journey? Do you ever have something difficult and you can call someone? You can ask somebody to pray for you? You can go to your pastor? Guess what? He was walking along, he had the ability to talk to no one about it. He couldn't get wise counsel. And I'm sure the 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 scripture's silent on this, but I'm sure questions are running through his mind, running scenarios in his mind. How is this going to happen? How is this going to work? How's it going to be? And I believe the scripture shares some insight. What was going on those three days? The scripture, the analogy of scripture. All Scripture verifies and validates itself. And I believe there's insights to help us understand what was going on in Abraham's mind. Besides, I know he was praying for help and praying silently for strength and asking God, is there another way? Can this cut pass like Jesus said in the garden? Is there a different way? I'm sure he was saying all those things. But besides that, We understand that Abraham was continually working out the problem, going through the promise. And we know that because Hebrews chapter 11, actually turn with me there. Hebrews chapter 11, keep your finger in Genesis 1. And 11.17 is, is where I'm going to pick up. And it gives us a glimpse into Abraham's mind at this point. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Verse 18. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants should be called. Verse 19 says, he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he had also received him back as a type. So Abraham's reasoning in his mind, I know how powerful God is. It's a miracle that we got him in the first place. And even if I kill him, God could raise him from the dead. God could do that. He didn't know what God was going to do, but God could do that. And another piece of information that I want to draw from is that in verse 4, back in Genesis 22 that we're at, verse 4 says, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And in verse 5 it says, we will worship He tells the guys, we're going to worship and return to you. So he sees the place. He knows what he's about to go do. God's saying, this is the place. Now it's time for you to go do it. And he tells the men, I got the stuff. Me and my boy, me and Isaac are going to go worship God. And we will return to you. Now, was it wishful thinking? I don't know was what was happening in Hebrews 11 that was in his mind. But do you think that settled everything? Do you think it was like, oh, no big deal, I'll just kill him and then God will raise him from the dead? No, easy, no, not easy. Torturous. Torturous. If I kill Isaac, God can raise him from the dead, true. And when he says that They were in the land of Moriah and on the mountains, which I tell you, that points back to verse 2. And traditionally, I want you to understand, Mount Moriah is associated with Jerusalem today. And in particular, the Temple Mount, where Solomon's temple would be built in the future from here. And currently, when we see that, if you've been to Israel today, you go on the Temple Mount, and they got the Islamic Dome of the Rock, it presides where the temple was. And one day, Jesus Christ will set up his headquarters there for the millennial kingdom on the Temple Mount. That's where this took place. And God said, go offer your son Isaac there. And Abraham, in verse 3, arose and went. And no delay, just obedience, just faith, just trusting, although someone was asking a lot of questions Someone there is asking some questions, and it wasn't Abraham. Abraham's being tested, and with that, testing brought temptation. And now this is just pouring salt on the wound. Number two in your outlines is, here I am, son. Verse 7 through 10. A underneath number two is questioning. Here's where the talking comes in. Verse 7. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father and he said here I am my son and he said behold the fire and the wood but where is the lamb for the burnt offering this is not an ignorant little child this is a 15 or 16 year old young boy young man he's saying dad I see the torch I got the wood, I see the knife. Where's the sacrifice? Where's the sacrifice? That's a good question actually. That's a really good question. Dad, where's the sacrifice? And can you imagine that question must have just cut right in his dad's heart. All the things leading up to this, just more and more pressure on Abraham's heart. Knowing the answer to the question of your son, where's the sacrifice? Thinking you're the sacrifice. But Abraham is trusting God and letter B in your outlines underneath number two is trusting, verse eight. Trusting. Abraham said, this is a perfect dad answer back. actually. God will provide for himself the lamb. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering my son, and the two of them walked on. He's not thinking he's going to get a different lamb. He's saying, you're the lamb, God's providing you, but I'm not telling you to spare you the, the horror of it. God will provide for himself the lamb, knowing full well his son was the lamb. This is excruciating. And all the while, he had to be crying out in his heart, calling on the nature of God, believing somehow God would give him his Isaac back. God would restore himself somehow, Isaac. But it might not be in his lifetime. He has no idea how it's going to be done. But he knows God cannot be a liar. I've trusted Yahweh. He's not a liar. God's holy and righteous and true. And sometimes it's hard for us to see through all that when we're in the middle of life's difficulties when you're going through hell on earth because you're in pain. And the pain is too loud. And the information is too loud about your child or about your health or about your finances. And it's pushing on you and pushing on you and pushing on you. Which takes us to see, which is sacrificing, verse 9 and 10. And the climax of the story is here. Then they came to the place which God told him. And Abraham built the altar there. And arranged the wood. And he bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. This passage is silent on a lot of details. It just goes right to there. He's just going to slay his son. He built a thing. He put him on there. He's going to slay him. Was Isaac begging his father? Dad, don't do this. We don't know. Did Abraham bind his son by force? No, dad, fighting him? Or do you say, I know you understand what's going to happen, but let me tie you down so you won't have to fight. It'll be quicker, son. What did they talk about walking up and saying, Well, it's time to tie you up? It takes some time to get the rocks and build the altar, it takes some time to ready the wood. What did he say to his son? Did they pray together? Did he say, I love you? He's ready to plunge his knife into his own son. Did they say anything? Scripture silent. He was told to go sacrifice his only son, the son he loved, your son Isaac, and he was about to do it. God was clearly testing him, and he was testing Abraham's strength, and he was passing the test, but it had to be heart-wrenching, and heartbreaking, and hard, and you might be going through something you don't think you can make it through, and it's so hard, and you can't see the other side, and you're just saying why, and you can't understand what's going on, but you just have to be obedient and submissive for the Lord, willing to sacrifice Him in worship, willing to sacrifice Him with your own life, and Abraham didn't spare his own son from him. But how often do we obey the Lord directly like this? Without wavering. No, we go right and left and swerve. God says don't become unequally yoked. And what do some of us do? Marry a non-believer. Date a non-believer. Don't be unequally yoked. I know God, but... God says don't commit adultery. And sometimes, I know God, but it just happened. God says, don't lust. Don't commit adultery in your heart with somebody else. And we say, well, I can look, but I just don't touch. And we're like, well, we're not. That's worldly people you're talking about, John. Oh, really? God says, go make disciples out there in Orland. Go out there and tell them about Christ. Make disciples and baptize them. And we say, I know, but that's not my giftedness. I'm not Ray Comfort. I'm not Tommy. I don't know enough. What do you know that the Lord has directed you to do from His Word in your life? And you're saying, I know God, but I know I should have got baptized, but I know I'm supposed to share this with my parents, but they might push me out of the family. I know I'm supposed to share this with my kids, but they may not like me anymore. Abraham is an example for us, and we all can learn from this, myself included. I'm 50 something years old before I said, Yes, God, I will preach for you. Why didn't I say yes at 25 years old when I knew that's what he wanted me to do? How much time did I waste not obeying God? And Abraham is an example for us, an example for all of you sitting here. And I don't know you, but we're connected and we're going to be together forever. And he's saying to us, Abraham was on his way to do straight away what God told him to do. And that's what we need to do right away when we're knowing we're supposed to do it. It's a true model of faith. It's a true model of obedience in the midst of the most severe and most hard trial and testing that you would ever go through on earth. You can't match Abraham. There's no way. But whatever is that you're That's your cross to bear. That's your difficulty in life. We as believers can wholeheartedly trust God. We as believers are God's children, and we can fully trust him, and we can say, here I am, God. Here I am, Lord. Yes, I will follow you, and I will do what you ask me to do. Which takes us to number three in your outlines, here I am, Lord. Verse 11 to the end of verse 18. A is forbearing, verse 11 and 12. Forbearing. Chapter 22, verse 11 says this, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, right when the knife is at the pinnacle, about to be thrust into his son. He says, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch your hand out against the lad. Do nothing to him, for I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And this is one of those amazing parts of Scripture. The angel of the Lord. Some theologians and church fathers have called this a theophany. Theo means God. God showing up. It's literally the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ standing there telling Isaac, don't die. Telling Abraham, don't kill your son. I know you won't withhold him from me. I know you won't withhold even the son who you love. And I thought about that, and it blows my mind. This is the Word of God, Jesus Christ, who is the one that in the future date would become the actual fulfillment of the promise to be the sacrifice and secure salvation. That one and only Son of God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, He is the one stopping His servant Abraham from sacrificing His one and only Son. It's ironic. It's amazing. It's a miracle, right? Which takes us to be atoning, verse 13 and 14. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him that ram for a burnt offering in place of his son. He took the ropes off. He got his son down. He put the ram up there and sacrificed the ram. In verse 14, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Why? Because the Lord provided. And it said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. And you want to get the, the, the hair on your arm to raise up? You know what else takes place here? This is the same vicinity where Jesus Christ would one day be crucified. The atoning sacrifice of the Lord on the cross, just outside of Jerusalem, in the land of Moriah, remember verse 2, was to be the spot where the Son of God would stop his son Abraham from killing his son Isaac, but where God, Yahweh, will kill his son Jesus for us. Jesus' death on the cross that makes us right. We're sinners made right through the amends to a holy God. And you guys know Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is talking about this in verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. We ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was chastened for the well being that fell upon him. His scourging, we're healed. And like sheep that gone up each one of us has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity, the sin, the vile in our lives to fall on him. That's Christ on the cross. And you know where it took place? Right about where this was taking place in Genesis 22. And I read commentaries and much to be said about Isaac as a type of Christ. Isaac is a type of Christ. Isaac is a type of Christ. No, he's not the type of Christ. Consider the cross. Consider the substitutionary atonement gift of Christ. If you think about the scene, just walk through the players of the scene. Who does Abraham depict in the scene? God the Father. God the Father is depicted in that scene. And who's the ram caught in the thicket that took the place of Isaac? That's Jesus Christ that took your place. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So the father is Abraham. That's Father God. Isaac has not been mentioned yet, and the ram over here is Jesus. Who's Isaac? You. Isaac is you and I. Isaac is us who are believers. In essence, when Jesus went to the cross, God the Father was taking you down off that cross, taking you off that altar, taking you off the pile of wood, taking the ropes off of you, and placing His own Son, whom He loved, His one and only Son, and putting Him to be the Lamb, putting Him to be nailed there, putting Him to be tied there, and thrust through there. Turn with me to Matthew 27. i just want to walk through some of this we all know this let's just walk through a little bit of it in matthew 27 verse 33 it says this and when they came to a place called galgotha which means place of the skull they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall and after tasting it he was unwilling to drink Verse 35, And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots, and sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. Verse 37, And above his head they put a charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Jump down to the middle of verse 39. It says, Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads at him, and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Jump down to verse 41. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and the elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel. Verse 43. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he delights in him, for he said, I am the Son of God. Mockingly. Go to verse 45. Now the sixth hour, darkness fell up on all the land. Go down to verse 46 in the middle. The ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Go to verse 50. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and rocks were split, and the tombs were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised from the dead, coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. And they entered the holy city, appeared to many now the centurion and those who were there with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. I started this sermon by saying, remember, when you're tempted, because of a testing, God provides what? A way of escape. He provides a way of escape. And He, in fact, provided a way of escape for Abraham. What was the way of escape for Abraham? The ram caught in the thicket. And for us, it's Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. He's the one. He's the one and only true Son of the Lord. It is the one who loved us. He is your escape. Him and His Word and God, that's the escape. And how did this get a passing grade for Abraham? Let's go to letter C was passing the test verse 15 through 18 of chapter 22 The angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. See, Abraham passed his test. He probably was tempted in there, but he fought the temptation. He followed through. He had provided a way of escape, and he passed the test, and he had faith, and he was obedient. And because of this story of his faith, and his obedience, and his atonement, we have salvation brought to all of us. Because verse 18 that I just read In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. That the blessing of salvation would come through Abraham, through Isaac, down through David. In the city of David would be born what? A Savior. Who is that? Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of the Old Testament right here, chapter 22. And go back to chapter 12, 1 through through 3 of Genesis. And it says to Abraham, you're going to go and bless all the nations because of me. You're going to bring them to me so they know me. I will be their God. You'll save all the many nations. And down the line, Israel keeps failing to do it. And God provided his own son on the cross to do it. And it goes all the way back to the fall in Genesis 3, all the way to the beginning of the Bible, from beginning to end, your whole Bible, it's about Christ saving us from our sin. And it's been him reaching out to us, him reaching down to you. We're not looking for him. We're not reaching to him. He's reaching down to us. And right when the fall happened, it said the one of the woman, the seed, singular, that would come, would crush the serpent with his foot, and he would bruise his own heel, that's the cross, Jesus, and that seed is this seed here, and that seed is Christ. So in conclusion, we have to ask ourselves, if the Lord calls you even to salvation, if the Lord calls you even to do something difficult, if the Lord lets something horrible happen to you, or horribly difficult to come into your life, you have to say, here I am, God, what do you want me to do? I'll often tell people, you might be going through hell on earth and it's not even for you. Somebody else is watching you and they need to see how you're going to handle it and they need to see faith with the the, the rubber meets the road here. You talk, 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 now hard things come into your life. Faith is only real faith when it's hitting you down, life. is hitting you down. But if you happen to be a non-believer here, and I don't know, you guys are probably all believers, but there's a non-believer here, and maybe you've been lying to yourself, or maybe you've been lying to your family, and maybe you know in your heart you're not a believer, but I just want you to understand, don't miss this. God is holy, and God is perfectly holy, and He requires perfection. You can't be good enough, you can't do enough, and one sin makes you condemned of all the law. So now you're a lawbreaker of all the law. You're guilty of all of it, 100%. So you have a holy God and a guilty sinner. You have a serious problem. That chasm cannot be bridged by you. You literally are Isaac. And you're bound. And you're put on top of the wood. And the Father is God. And he's standing over you with the dagger. And he's not going to stop. You need to be substituted out by someone else. You need the ram caught in the thicket. And you're going to take the dagger yourself, or the ram will take the dagger for you. You're going to go to the cross yourself, or he's went to the cross for you. You're going to go to hell, or he's paying the payment for hell for you. And the fact of the matter is, it's not just like the the knife gets plunged in once. It's not just like you hang on the cross once. It is over and over and over in hell forever because the punishment that you're taking, the sacrifice that you're giving in yourself is not good enough. People go to hell forever because they can pay forever and they can't make the payment up. Not in 10 million years, not in 1 trillion years. They finally said, okay, you've paid enough. You can come in and be with the Lord now. No, you can never pay enough because it's infinite. You can't pay enough. And if you're not a believer, that's your fate. You don't have a substitute. You're the sacrifice. And the Father will not stop. But there's good news out there. That's why we love the good news of the gospel. That's what it means, good news. Jesus Christ, he's the Lamb of God. He's the ram caught up in the thicket over here. He's the one that will come, take you off the altar, put him on the altar, and take your place. God can work out the regeneration in your heart. God gives you the ability to have faith. God gives you the ability to repent repent. And make your dead heart that's really rock hard, make it soft, make it malleable by Him, make you want to trust Him, make you be Abraham, they will say. You want me to do what? You want me to let my son go to be in Zimbabwe to be a missionary? You want him to go to Jerusalem? Do you know there's fighting over there right now? They're at war? Yeah, I know, God says. You need to say, if you're not a believer, here I am, Lord. You're calling me. You're here for a reason today right now. I'm here for a reason. God's in control of all things. And if you're not a believer, you need to say, here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? And he's saying, I want you to repent. I want you to turn to me and follow me. And then I will lay down on the altar for you. Then I will go to the cross on your behalf. And if you've done this and and the Father's took you off the altar in a sense and he placed his own son up there because he loves his son and he loves you and he's bound his own son there and he's plunged a knife in his own son and killed him and put him on the cross, then 2 Corinthians 5.21 is so important for us to know as believers. He made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the great exchange. He takes all of our sin. He gives us all his righteousness. Without that, you're lost. Without that, there's no hope. And you still go through all the difficult things in life, but there's no hope at the end. There's no hope like Abraham had in Hebrews thinking, I know God can raise from the dead, but he hasn't raised you from the dead yet because you're stubborn and pushing him back. But he can raise dead people to life. And the believers that are here, you need to take away from this text something. And it goes back to James again. Why? Because James perfectly fits what we're talking about in Genesis 22. It's like one author wrote the Bible. Isn't it amazing? James 1, verse 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you enter various trials. You should put that in your refrigerator, actually. They should hold that up at football games, actually. When you're going through it and life's cutting you down and you're saying, why God? You need this on the refrigerator. Consider it joy. Joy is a choice not to be an Eeyore Christian. It's a choice when you enter various trials to know God's testing you, God's allowing those things to come through your life so you run to Him, so you lean on Him, so you trust Him, not what you can see. And then when that happens, you produce endurance. And then endurance produces a perfect result. You have patience now. You have steadfastness now. You have faithfulness now. And when the next thing comes, you trust him again. And you trust him again. And other people see you trust him. And then you're lacking in nothing, it says. The faith that brought you into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ is the same faith you still need. It's not one and done. I have faith, now I just skipping to heaven. The testing of your faith sustains you and I through life's fiery trials for the next one and the next one and the next one. Because life is hard because we live in a fallen world. And the testing of God ends up producing a spiritually mature person. You have to have tested faith. And if you would never be tested, It's coming, but that's not a scary thing because we have a holy God that's holding us and walking with us and walking before us and walking behind us and walking through it with us. And he didn't tell Abraham in a cruel way, sacrifice your one and only son that you love, Isaac. I'm going to sacrifice my son, and I'm just asking you to do it to test you, and I'm going to stop you, but I'm not going to stop with my own son. It's amazing. So we can take that and we can leave here today and yeah, it's dreary outside and yeah, you may have cancer and yeah, your child might be away and yeah, you may have problems in your life and your marriage and your job and everything else you can imagine. You can have all the problems in the world but it's not bad enough because you know the pain is temporary. You know these problems are temporary and you know the God who holds you in his hand. And he proved his love and we're supposed to prove our love back to him. Jesus said, if you love me, do what? obey my commandments just obey me just be like abraham and simply watch the lord work in your life in ancient israel when god did something amazing they would stand a stone up on its end and prop some other little stones around it we sing a song it's called an ebenezer stone of help and would remind them, when they would go out with their children, or they would pass by that spot again, they would say, see that stone? You know what happened there? God did this. You see that stone over there? You know what happened? God did this. And you can look back to your own life, all the testing, all the hard things, all the times where you were down and out, being crushed, being hurt, being taken advantage of, being persecuted, being whatever, you fill in the blank, and those are standing stones for you. To look back and say, God did this here. You don't think Abraham had a huge standing stone in his life? I trusted God. I didn't know how he was going to do it, and he did it. Write these two verses down and look them up when you leave this place, and then I'll pray. Write down James 1.12 and write down 2 Timothy 2.15. James 1.12 and 2 Timothy 2.15. James 1.12, we already read it, but it says blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been tested. He's been approved. You've been approved. You pass a test. He will receive the crown of life. What is that? Heaven, which the Lord promised to those who love him. You love him by obeying him. The test is there for you to see if you're going to obey him or go your way or do your thing or be Jonah and run the Tarshish or whatever. He's testing you. And you're supposed to believe Him and trust Him and pass the test. Then you know you're His. Then you know where you're going. If you're always running from the test, and you're always running from the test, and you never obey Him, and you never follow Him, and you never do anything He says, then maybe you just think you're a Christian and you're not a Christian. And then that's the one thing He wants for you, is you to repent and turn to Him. And 2 Timothy 2.15 says, As a believer, present yourselves approved, that's passing the test, to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. This is the, the, the wanna verse here. You pass the test, and you're God's workman. God saved you, not so you can just have your best life now, not so you can just have a Starbucks ministry and talk about how blessed you are and go on social media and tell everyone how wonderful your life is, or say everyone how it's a victim, or tell whatever you want to tell on social media. It's not about that. It's not about hashtag blessed under your posts. We're supposed to be approved, going through life's trials, trusting God, coming out the other side, know that we're His workmen, and we're not ashamed of Him, and I've already been through hell on earth to this point, so I don't need to be ashamed if I go out there to share Christ with somebody, or be in my family and say, I want to tell you guys something. I know I was raised Catholic, but I'm a believer. I'm a Protestant believer, and they say, uh, yeah, that's a problem for us, and now there's this division. There's this... Defense shield, there's this separation in our family. And we're like, ah, but I love my family. And maybe it's your child, or maybe it's your friend, or maybe you don't want to hurt someone. But when you go through test after test, and you come out approved, then you know I'm a workman. And I don't need to be ashamed. And workmans do what? Work. Good job. So there's work for you to do. God prepared things for us all to do, right? Ephesians chapter 2. In the end, when you breathe your last here on earth, and if you're lucky enough to be around a family and I see you and you die that way, or you die in a, in a, in a collision on the way, on the freeway, you don't know when you're going to go. You want to die approved. You want to die trusting God and following God and doing what you're supposed to do. You want to pass the test, and then you enter into his rest forever and eight, ever, right? When God calls on you, and I don't know what He's doing in your life, but you have to say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. And we trust You this morning. And we ask You to help us in our lack of faith. Help us when we're like doubting Thomas. If I could just touch the holes, then I'll believe. No, Jesus said, you believe because you touch and you saw and you feel and you know. But how much more are those that are blessed that don't see and don't touch and don't hear? And it's faith. We can't see it. We can't understand it. Abraham couldn't see it. Can't understand it. And I'm praying for all those that are here today going through some of the life's hardest trials that have ever been through. And they can't see past the fog of what's going on. To reach out and say, here I am, Lord. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to obey. I'm not going to run I'm going to put my full weight of faith onto you and trust you and obey you still the more. Father, that is when we are lights out to the world and we reflect Jesus Christ and we're lights in a dark world. And men hate the light and it's going to cause us problems. Lord, help us, strengthen us, guide us. Thank you for giving us the Spirit because we can't do this. And if your hand was not upon Abraham, he could not have done what he was about to do. So we thank you, and we give you all the faith and the love. And we put you on a pedestal in our mind. We put you on the altar of our own mind. We put you on the throne of our own heart and say, would you run our lives? We trust you. May you get all the glory for it. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Amen.